Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody. I'd like to welcome all of you who are watching and following along with this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Interview Series. I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director here at the Hall of Fame. It's an exciting time for us. We are uh, 47 days away from our 2022 induction, and we have another exciting Hall Call to give to you today. As always, I'd like to thank all of our community partners here at the Hall of Fame, Priority Automotive, the City of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, Davcon Inc., ESPN Radio 94.1, and the Hampton Road Sports Commission. Uh, we are able to bring programs like Hall Call to you because of their support. Well, today's guest made headlines just over a year ago. I actually looked at the, uh, the official announcement, and it was March 5th last year, uh, when she became the first African-American woman hired by the NFL as an on-field official, and just the second full-time overall. Originally from Rochester, New York, Maya Chaka's con connection to Virginia came as a student at Norfolk State University. After graduating, she stayed in the Hampton Roads area working as a health and PE teacher in Virginia Beach and in 2021 was named Student Success Coordinator at an Achievable Dream Academy. While teaching, however, she began her climb to the top ranks of officiating uh, with VHSL football games, which led to collegiate assignments and ultimately the fields of the most popular sport in America. Now, after her first full season with the NFL, she joins us. Maya, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. All right, well, for those of you who are following along, this is on our Facebook Live. So if you have a question, feel free to put it up on the stream and, and we'll see if we can maybe get it over to her. But uh, let me just start off with this one question. You know, I, I went back and I read a lot of the articles last year when the announcement was made. Um, it was a very special moment for you. A year into it, do you consider yourself a trailblazer? A year into it, yes. At the moment, I didn't. I was just someone who was doing something that I love and I was passionate about. But, you know, just seeing my impact and, and hearing people reiterate it over and over again and just seeing how much I'm able to influence like the youth through my path. And now I'm really starting to realize, you know, the impact of what I did. So let's let's kind of go back to that moment. Uh, how did you find out you had been selected? Because there's a there is a, a develop an official development program in the NFL. How long were you in that program, and how did you ultimately find out that you'd been selected for the NFL? I was in that program for seven years, and you know I, I first interviewed after my first bowl game in 2013, and I was accepted into the program in 2014. And it was just a long path. It felt like I was in football college. You know, that's the best way to, to explain it. I felt like I was getting my doctorates or something. But, you know, at the time when I was brought in, it normally took the average official about two or three years in the program. And they either figured they were either going to bring them in and hire them full time or they were going to release them back into college. So I was just like in like a waiting mode. I was on the plane and, you know, like you're getting ready to take off and there's always a delay, a delay, a delay, and you don't know when you're going to take off, but at least I had a seat on the plane. And I received that phone call on a Monday night at 9 PM, which is the last time you think that you're going to get a phone call telling you that you pretty much landed your dream job. And, you know, I was told, Hey, we have Monday night football. You know, we have no regular office hours, you know, when they gave me that call and, it was just a huge surprise because I had worked the senior bowl for maybe about five or six years. And normally that's the, you know, that that's the threshold, you know, you work the senior bowl and you either get in and it was one of those moments you're always a bridesmaid and never the bride. And just to receive that phone call was just a, you know, a huge relief. Like I was, I just wasn't, wasn't expecting it to happen at all. 
So you said that seven years you were in that program. So, so this is not something that happened overnight. And I don't think anybody thinks that getting to the NFL is an easy process, but how many of your peers in that program actually went on to, to the NFL? Are, are you the only one, or is it just a, a small handful of people? Like we're trying to get a little bit more insight into how difficult it is to make that leap. So it, it, it is pretty hard. I, I'll even go into like my college crew, like the crew I was working on at Conference USA, my referee was hired into the National Football League, uh, you know, a few years before I got in. Um, my umpire was hired into the National Football League. So pretty much everybody who I was working with, like in college. And then, of course, Sarah Thomas was before me. I worked my first bowl game with her, her and I. She came in the development program a year before I did. And she was hired in 2015. And, you know, six, six or seven years later, here I am. So even the current referee that I worked on his crew, my crew chief, Clay Martin, he came in through Conference USA and I worked my first bowl game with him. So I was always surrounded by people who were uh, on the track, you know, on the path to get there. And then it seemed like every time I worked the all-star game, everybody who I worked the all-star game with got hired except for me. So, I mean, I've been passed up by like, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 officials. And, you know, it looks at it now, you know, seven years later from when I was hired, it's pretty much everyone who's in the league now is someone who I have worked with in one form of, you know, one form or another, whether it's a bowl game or an all-star game or on a college crew, I've worked with them. How many of those people did you lean on for advice throughout this process, seven-year process, maybe even the five years leading up or even really the last year? How many of them did you stay in touch with? I would say all of them at some point or another, you know, like throughout throughout your career, you know, you're going to lean on people at different times, you know, depending on when you're working with them or not. But all of them, I look at them for some type of leadership or guidance. So you mentioned Sarah Thomas. Sarah Thomas was mm -hmm. hired, I think you said six years ago, and then now you're in there, but it's still just the two of you. You know, how 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 are you able to, to make a path for yourself and, and gain that respect in, in what still is an unbelievably male dominated uh, world in the NFL? I just dive headfirst into my work. I don't, I don't want to separate myself as being a woman official. I just pretty much, I'm an official period. And that's all that is to it. And when you just approach it that way, you get your respect from your male peers. And a lot of it is just through performance, like however you perform on the field. Because if you're not prepared, it's going to show and your crewmates don't want that. You know, they want to always, you know, have you be as strong as they are. And I think that's the way I get over it. You know, preparation, film study, rules tests, watching my own film, being my own critic uh, and just trying to get better. So you the, the term that I think is going to stick with me from your initial answer was football college. What was the most difficult part about this football college kind of setup and like where where was something that really surprised you in the preparation that you need to go through to get to the NFL? I mean, the, you have guards pulling guards that are running just as fast as the fastest running back in college. And I, I think that's the biggest difference is adjusting to the speed. And then you have, you know, talented players. For example, you look at somebody like a Debo Samuel, you don't know if he's lined up as a receiver or a back in the formation and just being able to read what he's doing and, you know, adjusting to the play. That's one thing. And another thing is just being able to communicate with coaches. You know, you're, you're there, you know, when I was first interviewed, I think I was barely, you know, a little bit over 30. And, you know, you're on a sideline with somebody like a Belichick or someone like that who's been coaching football for longer than you've been existing on this planet. It's learning how to speak their lingo and, and understanding that they're going to challenge you. 
and really still having the confidence to believe in your ability, but also knowing when knowing when you're wrong in certain situations that you just have to listen, you know, to these people who are Hall of Famers. You know, we, it's it's funny you say that, and we did a a, hall, a previous hall call with uh, Shalisa Painter, who is in, is on track to hopefully become an NBA official. Um, she's in the G League right now, and she said it's it's that it's the belief in what you're doing on the court that wins the respect over from the players, whether it's male or female. It's that you believing in what you're doing on the court, or in your case, the field. Um, when did you realize that this was potentially a realistic goal? to make it to the NFL. You mentioned it's seven year process, but at what point did it really begin to materialize for you? First of all, shout out to Shalisa. She's like actually one of my closest friends, like, you know, referee friends and can't wait for her to get to the league so we can do an iconic Jersey swap, right? That's right. So <laughs> for, for me, I realized it was a realistic goal once I started working division one college football and all of my trainers were NFL officials. I realized I was put in a room to where I could be successful. Like this was a reality. At first I was doing it just because it was fun. And, you know, it was just a good way for me to earn cash. And I did it, you know, for the, you know, for the adrenaline rush and everything, you know, just to be involved and fall in love with the process of chasing, chasing perfection, but never really having a chance to be perfect is really what officiating is. And so when you sit in a room and all your trainers, the people who are teaching you how to become a college official are Super Bowl officials, have worked multiple playoff games and have been in the league for 20 plus years, you know, you really realize that you can see yourself in that same field that they're at, especially when they're giving you praise and telling you that you're doing a great job. You started officiating uh, VHSL games, if, if I'm correct. Um, what drew you to this this side of the sport? What drew me to foot to football or to officiate officiating side? I had I had a, a co-worker who who was officiating high school football with me. And he, you know, he was teaching health and PE with me as well at uh it was then Virginia Beach Central Academy before it turned to Renaissance. And I would see him pack his little white knickers into the into his bag every single day after school and he'd go work some games. And he was talking me into it. I really wanted to do basketball officiating. And he taught me into doing football because he said there aren't any women who are doing football. And, you know, I would excel at it because I had the right personality and I'm coachable. And I argued with him for a little bit because I didn't want to wear those like those ugly white knickers. Thank God they went to black pants. <laughs> I didn't want to wear the knickers. I didn't want to put shove all my hair underneath the hat. You know, it was just the issue of, this is a sport that is pretty much tailored to men. There's nothing to accommodate women. Why would I even want to join? You know, but he pushed and pushed and pushed me to do it. And I'm so glad that he did. I'm so glad that he was as progressive as he is and a visionary that he is to see something in me that I didn't see in myself. So that's how I jumped into it. And I never looked back. What's been the best piece of advice you received, either either, you know, in your, your entire career officiating or in the process of jumping, making the jump to the NFL? Keep your mouth closed and your eyes and ears open, <laughs> you know, it's, especially when you're learning something that is, you know, brand new to you. You know, I'm familiar with some things with football, you know, we know all the basic things and everybody at home thinks they're like an armchair referee that they can call pass interference. But actually really learning those philosophies and how to actually call the game and maintaining the integrity of that game, it takes a lot of learning to do that. And 
you can't learn when you're constantly talking or, or you know, talking back. Of course, it's great to ask questions, but it's also great to listen more than you speak sometimes because just being in a room of people with so much wealth, with the wealth of knowledge and being able to absorb everything and then put it into practice, uh, I think that's the greatest steps. When you were approaching your first game last September, Give us the, the sense of the emotions that were running through you as, as the days turned into hours and the hours turned into minutes, and then you're there at kickoff in September. You know, you know what's crazy is I didn't think, and, I, and this is not me trying to think I'm above anything, but I didn't think of it any different. It felt the same thing as when I would go out and work Mustang games in the sportsplex, you know, because I was always trained to treat every game like it's a big game. And, you know, every game is always going to be important to someone. You know, you go out there on those fields, those little kids are playing their hearts out. And even in high school, they're playing their hearts out like everybody wants to win. And so I've never changed my approach to the game. It's always been the same. You know, you go in, uh, you know which, what teams are playing. You go over the things you're supposed to do. And I think that's real important. Now, when I stepped on the field, it is a bit different because when you step on the field and you know, the, when everybody walks around and they give you like standing ovations, that's a little different. It became a reality then like, oh my God, I'm really here in a national football league. And you have players who are well-known who are coming up to you and congratulating you. You know, that's when it really hits you, but it wasn't leading up to the game. It was as soon as I stepped on the field, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Um, you know, we, we know that diversity is, is a big part of what the NFL is trying to build around its brand. Um, have you do you feel like you play a, a larger role than just being one person in in their approach to diversity or how how has diversity changed and how have you seen it change in the NFL in the year that you've been a part of it? So since I, when I first came in, you know, there really aren't any other women. There was myself, there was Sarah and I think Arizona had a woman that was coaching. There were a few women that were coaching. And like now you see, you know, people who are actually running, you know, like assistance, assistance to the GM and you have agents and you have more coaches. And now there's actually a pipeline that they're developing to attract more women. And I know myself personally, you know, I try to recruit and as get as many women as, as I can involved in our high school board here you know, it just shows you how big the pipeline has not become before it was just so small. And I think that's because we are proven that we can be successful at what we do. You know, I'm only able to be successful in the league now because Sarah has been successful. So I'm fortunate for her. And hopefully with me being successful where I'm at, that opens up more avenues for, you know, the women to come. And there are more women to come because we have more women that are in our development program uh, right now to this day, which is very exciting. What are those avenues? I mean, obviously there's high school, but what's the, what are the differences that you've seen in the now, I guess, 2007 to, to now 15 years that you've been in the officiating world? What are the differences that you've seen in getting more women involved in officiating? It, it's, it's just about us being more vocal about it, you know, and, and us recruiting and, and letting them know that they can be a part of this. We actually also have like a women's study group like in football that's specifically geared specifically to women. And when a woman shows me an interest that she wants to officiate, you know, that's the first place I send her is there. And that group has grown from like eight women all the way up to, I think, almost 50. And it's coast to coast. It's not just centralized. And they meet on Zoom. And I think that's really important uh, for us to have that support group so we can talk about other things. 
that organic growth is definitely how change gets made. Um, you know, and it's it is a bottom it is a bottom up approach. Um, you know, 2022 is actually the 50th anniversary of Title IX legislation, and you know, mm -hmm. does it is that something that you think about that 50 years ago, barely a generation, these moments would not have been possible? Yeah, it's it's crazy how much how much growth, not even just of women, but people in general, um, you know, within 50 and 60 years, you know, how much growth that we've shown. I think we still have a ways to go, you know, but I think we are taking the right steps towards it, you know, maybe baby steps, but, you know, any progression is always positive. What was, um, what would be your best piece of advice to an up-and-comer in the industry? Somebody, if, if, if Maya was getting into officiating right now, but you could look back through the crystal ball of the experiences that you've had, what would be your best piece of advice that you'd give to somebody? So you have to fall in love with the process. And for me, you know, it took me a lot longer than I thought it would take, but I never gave up on the end goal, but it came to a point where I always worked like I was going to be successful, but I expected like I wasn't. And that, and I think that's what really made a difference to me when I stopped trying to put you know, it's always good to have goals, but when you stop trying to say, I'm going to make this at this certain year, you know, if you don't make it that specific year, it's okay. It doesn't mean that it's not going to come the year after or the year after that. You have to just continuously grow. And along your way, once you start to grow, make sure that you start to give back, then bring somebody else with you along the way. You mentioned giving back. Um, you know, your role as an official is just one small part of what you do. I mean, you're an educator. I, I mentioned it earlier. You, you've been with Virginia Beach Public Schools. You're now with an achievable dream. You know, how do you go about juggling all of these duties when you have to travel to a game, you know, 17 Sundays out of a year? Uh, it's it's tough, but, you know, I'm, I'm with a very flexible organization now that is supportive uh, of the things that I do, because I think they realize that sometimes my experiences outside the classroom or outside the school, they bring a wealth of knowledge like to the students that no one else can bring. And I, I'm very appreciative, you know, for that. But also it's like, you know, they always say that cliche saying, if you find something you love to do, it never feels like you work again a day of your life. Mm -hmm. You know, officiating is stressful. I love the process. I love the grind, but it is stressful because we are scrutinized. And then when you're able to just go back and, you know, be relatable to the youth, you know, it's like a stress reliever. Yeah, I'm still working 40 hours, 40-ish hours a week, you know, at a regular day job and on top of like 30 to 40 hours for football. So it's like an 80-hour work week total but you know this is something i can do it in my sleep now mm -hmm. you know I, I i get up i breathe it and you know actually working with kids gives me life have you brought the yellow flag into the classroom of course <laughs> <laughs> tougher crowd professional football players or a room full of high school students absolutely we're, we're working on public speaking now so it's it's always amazing when you can you can put penalties on public speaking <laughs> I'm sure you know, try, try to get, try to get them in shape. I'm sure they love that. Uh, what does the off season for an NFL official, a full time NFL official, now look like for you? For so for me, it's it's a bunch of public speaking engagements, really. Uh, you know, and I'm very fortunate for that. A lot of people want to be able to hear my story, so I've been able to, you know, reach on on multiple platforms in order to inspire people, you know, to reach their goals. And so for me, uh, that's what that's been. It's also, you know, teaching or being like a success coordinator with an achievable dream and being able to help those students become successful and reach my levels or surpass me or whatever it is. So it also includes that. It also includes 
myself getting my own uh, nonprofit off the ground. It's MMC, which stands for Make Meaningful Change. And it's a community engagement organization. And we're really focusing on bringing uh, programs and resources to middle school and high school age students. And, you know, just having different programs for, for them to be involved in different workshops, like on the weekends and in the summertime. Well, let, let's talk a little bit more about MMC. What, when you say programs, what type of programs are you trying to bring to the, to the middle schoolers and high schools? What's the main focus of MMC? So any, anything that is really going to encourage them to take a different career path, right? So you may have some kids that may like to customize sneakers or want to learn how to customize jackets or whatever. And that's things that aren't, that aren't necessarily taught into school, but trying to find those professionals here in the area that can help bridge that gap that say, hey, this is how I learn, you know, because the way that education is now, obviously going to college is a great route, but I think sometimes kids are going to college and not necessarily know why they're going. And if they learn a skill or learn something that they're, they're into now, they may be more, uh, more inclined to go to college for something like marketing or like business and learning how to manage your school skills and how, learn how to be entrepreneurs so they can be more in control of their own destiny. So it's just all about just taking any resources and any professionals that I have come into contact with and being able to bring them closer to the youth to teach them more in like a one-on-one -on -one or like an intimate type setting and probably building like some mentorships along the way with that. I think that's extremely important. I know that, you know, in speaking to, to kids, um, you know, in my profession, uh, a lot of times the only thing they only think that there are certain avenues and, and those avenues are limited, you know, doctor, lawyers, things that we see on, mm -hmm. on TV. And it's really important to say, well, no, that, you know, anything that you touch, there's a profession that put that together. Yep. So I think, uh, I think a, a, an organization like that could be uh, extremely valuable to our community. Um, is there a moment from the last year, kind of getting back to the, to the football side of things, is there a moment from the last year that really stands out to you? Uh, from your process of being getting that call in March of last year to the end of the season. How about when I forgot to bring my sneakers to training camp one time and I showed up in Nike flip flops and pink and pink toes. <laughs> so that that really stood out because that was a moment where I thought I was going to get fired <laughs> before I really even got my foot feet wet, you know, no pun intended, but I really did. I forgot my I forgot my shoes. And I come downstairs, I show up, my crew was like heckling me. And of course they play into it. They think that, um, let's scare her a little bit. And then like, we're going to tell the boss and whatever. So they end up taking me to camp. The team has to end up giving me shoes so I can work for the week. And each time when I'm in, you know, doing a drill or in practice somewhere, everybody catches wind and all the players come up to me, Hey, nice shoes, like one at a time. And it's not like, <laughs> They did it all simultaneously. They would do it while I'm eating breakfast, while I'm eating lunch. So I just got ripped the entire week, you know, just dealing with that team and forgetting my shoes. So I think that stands out. Did that finally end or are you still getting comments from your colleagues about that? I still get comments about it. <laughs> I, I think it's one of those things that's ne I'm never going to let down, you know, but a, a part of it is me, you know, holding that accountability. It's a rookie mistake. You know, everybody's going to make some type of blunder, but I didn't let it define me. And it even continued on to the regular season. You know, people who were on different teams, they weren't even in the training camp with that team. They were coming up to me, joking me about my shoes. So, you know, players talk. So news travels yeah. fast, apparently. It does. Yeah. <laughs> As an official, what were you looking to improve on game to game last year or even from the beginning of the season to the uh, end of the season? I, I think for me, it was more so 
there's a couple things. One was just being able to recognize different formations and packages that teams are running and the way that they play against each other. Cause these guys are amazing athletes and they're so skilled and they're so good. And just being able to pick up on their tendencies, you know, getting used to their natural body movements and then being able to pick up and interpret when they're being fouled or not, or like when they're just acting or trying to, you know, egg on for a call. So that was one thing I was targeting on. And then for me, it was really, really about looking at, you know, like run coverage, like trying to figure out what they want as a hold and what they don't want as a hold and just trying to transition throughout plays. So I think those are two things that I'm still developing on them, but I did pretty well, but I can always do better. You know, 40 seconds, that, that's not an eternity. A 40-second play clock is not an eternity. You know, when they're, when they're moving down the field, how quickly do you have to be in position? Is there a, is there a second in, within that time that you say, I have to be in position by X amount, by 27 seconds, 25 seconds? There's, there's like a routine. So for me, you know, I move along with the ball. I'm right on the line of scrimmage. So wherever I end the play, that's where the play is going to start. So I'm always there and I'm always about maybe like five or 10 yards behind the runner. I cheer the runner pretty well. What, what may be a struggle is when you have like those, those 30 and 40 yard bombs, like those passes, or you have somebody who just breaks away real fast and yeah, we have to pick it up, but still they can't put the ball down until I give them a spot. But what gets tricky is in between where you have to, you have to know when you can communicate with the coach and when you can't, like when they're in hurry up, you have to just zero in and just focus on what's going on in front of you. Uh, but you know, the, the dead time in between plays or when something goes under review, being able to find the coach and being able to communicate during that time and knowing when to cut the communication off. And that's always going to be a challenge. It's the production part of the football game that nobody else sees, but you. How important is that communication aspect? You know, I mean, we, we obviously see coaches, uh, they, they can be emotional. <laughs> Football coaches yeah. in particular can be emotional. How important is it to maintain that line of communication with them throughout the, the course of a 60-minute game? So that's your credibility at, as an official is how well you're able to communicate like with these coaches. And you have to be a person of your word. And if you don't know the answer to something, just let them know, hey, I, I, I can't answer that right now, but I will find it for you. Let me get back to you. But always make sure you get back to them. Never leave them hanging. They may totally forget about what you said, you know, but the importance of you always making an effort of getting back to them. And you just have to be completely transparent. And there are going to be some times where coaches are going to get upset and players are going to get upset. But you have to realize it's the heat of the battle. And they don't, it's, not, it's nothing personal. I've never been personally attacked you know, not any different than my male colleagues that they didn't like a call, but it's not gender specific or race specific. It's football specific. And you just have to remove yourself from that and just deal with that raw emotion at that time and just hear them out. As we, I'll I'll get you out of here on this one. As we Mm -hmm. uh, approach your second season, I mean, it's March now, you know, September is five and a half months away, but we know that it'll be here before we know it. Uh, What are you looking forward to most about the upcoming season? I'll be eligible to work playoffs if I do well enough. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, like that, that is, that's always a positive, but yeah. for me, I'm just really looking forward to being hired back and being out there again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that, that's always the goal is to be able to continue working. Cause there are a lot of people who aren't asked back and who, who don't continue to work. And so just making sure I'm healthy and, you know, making sure that I'm able to pass all the tests and, you know, surpass that sophomore jinx. 
Well, knock on wood, we hope that uh, we can see you back out on the football fields again this year. And hopefully, you know, maybe in the future, we do one of these with Shalisa and Maya and maybe even some more. Hopefully there's a, you guys are just the beginning of a, of a long line of officials here from Virginia. So thank you for taking the time to join us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Well, again, everybody, we'll, uh, we'll, let's hope that Maya is at back out on the NFL football fields this fall. Um, I'd like to thank everyone who, who has followed along and uh, who will download this podcast or even watch the video later. Um, as always, thank you to our partners. As you can see, their logos up there, Priority Automotive, City of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, ESPN Radio, and Davcon Inc. Be sure to follow The Hall on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at VA Sports HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Join us in a couple days, the March 17th, Thursday, as we'll catch up with incoming inductee Anthony Poindexter from the University of Virginia. Of course, whatever you do, participate, don't spectate. 2022 induction weekend is just 47 days away. So we'll catch everybody next time.